Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 26th day of July, 2018. We're here with our co-host, John Basser, and uh, today our guest speaker is Dr. Craig Bash, and uh, 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 along with uh, Dr. Rosen... How do you say your name? Rosenman. Rosenman. Right. I'll I'll get it right. Rosenman. Okay. Um, And we're going to give you all a bunch of good information, so uh, get your pencils and papers ready. And if you have any questions, please feel free to uh, call in. Our call-in number is 347-237-4819, and then hit the number 1. And this call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. Now, we was going to start off today with... Uh, I think here, uh, Dr. Bassett, we were going to discuss something about the Nexus letters uh, that's on your website. They are uh, 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 medical Nexus opinions, and uh, these are quite important. Uh, I recommend everyone going to your website here. Uh, 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 and studying that stuff because this this is serious. Uh, you know, the, uh, you can get by chiropractors, lawyer, medical citations. Uh, uh, buddy lay statements are good. You can get a lay statement by a medical trained family member that could be an LPN or RN or uh, something like that, or may even have a doctor in the family. Nurses' aides, uh, technicians, uh, nurse practitioner, and uh, physicians' assistants. So. <coughs> Uh, these are quite quite important. Now, uh, Dr. Bash, you're in the process of, uh, you know, whenever you write up a, a IMO or IME for a, a veteran, uh, you know, you, you always want to make sure that you have this nexus opinion. Uh uh, to put with that, don't you? Yeah, it's really important. You know, the nexus, um, it's kind of like two parts, two major parts. You have the nexus opinion and you have the DBQ. You know, the DBQ is a disability benefits questionnaire. So one without the other is not so helpful. 
sometimes the local doctor will do a DBQ, but they don't really want to do a nexus nexus opinion. And then some doctors will do a nexus opinion, and they don't want to do a DBQ. So the nexus kind of relates what you had in service to what you have now, and then the, the DBQ relates to how severe the problems are that you have now. Yes. And you can do a DBQ for just about any ailment, uh, can't you? I know you can for PTSD and and uh, your ears, your sight, uh, anything's wrong with you. Yeah, the, um, yeah, the way um, you know, medicine has like 65,000 codes, and then the, the A boils those 65,000 down into like 2,000 plus codes, and then those 2,000 codes are boiled down to like 70 70 DBQs, so they're, they're kind of a broad brush, but they cover, you know, the major parts of, of um, what the VA rating schedule is. Um, so now you're bringing uh, uh, Dr. Rosen, Rosenman in here uh, to help with your PTSD claims? Yeah, Dr. Rosenman, do you do... Um, why don't you give people a little bit of your background so we know who we're talking to? Okay. Well, I went um, to medical school at Jefferson in Philadelphia. I did my residency training at Yale University in psychiatry. And I've worked for a number of jobs, but the ones that are relevant, uh, I think, are I, the last several years I worked at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton as a psychiatrist and then at Naval Medical Center, and after that, I semi-retired, and for the last several years, I've worked as a volunteer, i.e. unpaid, but still working as a psychiatrist at something called the Defense Centers of Excellence, which is at Walter, the new Walter Reed, and we focus on PTSD issues, and uh, sometimes the connection between that and traumatic brain injury and I have also worked with the uh, several college health communities uh, so that now all the college health centers have some standardized intake procedures as to how to help help all their staff spot people with PTSD since a lot of veterans go after they serve uh, to um, use their GI, the Sonny Montgomery GI Bill of Rights money. So it's an important place to have people who know what to talk about and you know, what to add. Hey, in your background, did you do much work like with the DBQs, like you just mentioned for the PTSD stuff? Did you do much of that? Um, not, we, we had. Um, I did a few medical boards. Uh, we had a standard instrument called a PCL-M, which is now a, a PCL-5, which is a checklist, which uh, was developed by a very bright man at Walter Reed to help uh, screen for this because before uh, it was sort of people knew it when they see it, and now there are some very solid questions you can ask. And they're sort of non-threatening, so you don't get people's backs up. And this was when initially, when you said PTS, 
for PTSD. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. And these are just simple questions about do you sleep well, do you eat well, do you wake up in the middle of the night, are you having flashbacks, are you feeling like you don't want to be around people, and, and, and sort of less charged. And when you all put that all together, you get a pretty good idea of how people are doing. Um, I've taken care of SEALs, Marines, uh, Army Green Berets, regular Navy, and it's uh, PTS or PTSD is a condition that has a whole lot of uh, forms and affects a lot of different people depending on what they were exposed to. Dr. Roosevelt, oftentimes I have patients that come in that, you know, they came into service normal and then they leave service with some symptoms of PTSD and the, and the VA oftentimes calls it a personality disorder. Do, do, are these new, this, new, um, this new type of, which of course is not, rated, not readable, this new type of uh, questionnaire you have kind of helps sort through that? Um. It's one, uh, yeah, it's one also that both the VA and the whole DOD system uses. So and it, it's, it's a preliminary inventory, but we, I used it when I've worked at uh, Cal State Fullerton and Long Beach City College, and we, we just put, at the vet, I volunteered at the Veterans Center, and we just stuck this thing in, in the middle of the paperwork. And since it didn't say mental health questionnaire, people filled it out pretty willingly, and we must have picked up about, in a year, about 50 cases of PTSD that people didn't realize they had. Like on a college campus, maybe from uh, those yeah, things is, or from maybe sexual trauma, stuff like that? Yeah, this, this was uh, at a community college, so you had people who really needed the and, and were also in part trying to convert their military skills into things that would go further into public safety or nursing or policing or, or other things. Uh, and so they would, you know, one of the things about PTSD is a lot of these people soldier along and no one, no one has taught we're the services are doing a, a better job of that now about being proactive and there's also what's it called the center for combat stress uh, that they're realizing they have to get the people in the field they're also and um, since I'm new to the broadcast there are even some podcast uh, some smartphone apps that can be downloaded that help you uh, learn more about PTSD that help you to control your breathing and things like that. Um, okay. But the, yeah. one of the things that uh, we see both with PTSD and traumatic brain injury is that people are not quite who they used to be, and that's often a useful question to ask. You ask that um, a family member? Or the patient. Yeah, the patient may not know, but the family member would know that somebody's not quite. Yeah, the same we, we well, often what what I found when I was at uh, Camp Pendleton is I would say, well, is your wife or husband having any concerns with you? 
yeah, and we had this questionnaire, and I would explain it to them, and then they would take it home and show it to the wife, and all of a sudden the light bulb went on. And it wasn't the guy who was screwing off. It was he literally had something wrong. And I, my standard deal was take this home, give it to your wife, and if you can, come back with her for your next appointment, and let's talk to, talk about this together and how we start working on it. What about and that, another question about the um, about the immersion? Some people think that the immersion desensitization, where you try and make positives out of the negative, helps people with a PTSD. Have you had much luck with that? Um, yeah. The name for it. Yeah. Well, one of them is cognitive behavioral therapy, where you work with a therapist. Uh, and then the second one is something called eye movement. Oh, yeah, rapid eye movement, yeah. Yeah, the eye movement desensitization. There is a place that's part of the VA at uh, West Hanover, New Hampshire, which is connected to Dartmouth Medical School and is also the VA. National Center for Traumatic Disease, and they now have guide what are called clinical practice guidelines or CPG. And one of the things that's top on that um, about two of the the five items on the top of the list for treatment are this cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and the eye movement therapy as, as being proven effective and for a lot of people as effective as medication. So that's, mm-hmm. and this has been tested in, you know, there, there are 10 VA regional centers and the military is part of the field trials for this stuff. And when it gets to the point that it's a joint VA DOD recommendation, it's fairly solid. Because what places the, offer which places which places offer that? No. Well, it's the thing is there are a couple of websites, uh and Dr. Bash, could we add them to your website maybe? Yeah. Yep, I'll talk to I'll talk to my webmaster. Yeah, I'll I'll send them to you. But the thing is there's something called let me see if I can find it while I'm talking. Well while you look at me uh I know you guys want to talk about medical opinions, right? Nexus opinions. And you, uh, medical and, uh, symptoms. Uh, the, 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 the questions you start with are, are you having any flashbacks, i.e., are you re-experiencing something that happened when you were in Iraq or Afghanistan or a nearby country? And um, my one little story about that is when I was at Camp Pendleton, uh, they have these very large guns that are on battleships. And uh, Camp Pendleton is, is, is the size of the state of Rhode Island, but the, the, the guns were at the other end of the base, and they tested them every Friday morning. And we knew within an hour and a half of, of the, and this was to get the Marines in training ready for ship, ship deployment, that are, as opposed to other days, that Fridays would be at least twice as heavy just because the guns were going off and re-traumatizing people and they were having flashbacks. 
So it was sort of interesting. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing that happens is people have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up. Instead of getting seven or eight hours sleep, they'll wake up at four in the morning and they can't go back to sleep. They have trouble concentrating. Uh, their appetite may be off. What I call, in layman's terms, the startle response is way up. And things that otherwise wouldn't bother them now bother them. Uh, and there have been there are stories of, of veterans who don't do very well with fireworks displays for the same reason. Uh, driving is another place where this manifests itself because if people were in country uh, that. And, and out of the, the green zone, uh, you had to regard anything that approached you and might overtake you as potentially hostile. And, and so you were sort of wired and jazzed up and, and, and hyper alert, and that tends to, to help ingrain the PTSD in people when you have this repetitive prolonged exposure. Um, and so that's another one. And it, it ta- uh, some of the VA hospitals even have now driving courses to get people to start driving like normal people and not tearing down the whatever freeway in California, the San Diego, the 4055, whatever, uh, at, at 80 miles an hour to, to avoid people hitting you. So it, it 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 sort of affects your whole outlook, uh, and people have decreased concentration. That's a problem because if they were had a job where they were doing anything that was somewhat complicated, if you lose your concentration, you can't be halfway as effective. And I, I always describe, and I've worked for the Navy and the Marine Corps that both of those places, by and large, sort of run like well-oiled clocks. And then you have some guy who is a gunny or just below that and um, had had kept his whole unit together, and all of a sudden he's dropping details, which isn't his fault. It's just he gets overwhelmed. And so there's... Excuse me. Have you found that there's different levels of PTSD anywhere from minor uh, up to severe? Um, I, I didn't hear the first part of the question. Uh, have Have you found that there's different levels of PTSD? Yes. Yeah, and you uh, have do, to talk to have to that, talk to people. Yeah, are they in the the uh, CFR like this? This uh, veteran is level one or level two, or how how many ever levels they go? Or um, uh, we, I think it used to be a catch-all, just a PTSD, and that's well, it. Well, the, the thing is, what what at least we did at in the Navy and for the Marines, and I. I have friends who work for the Army as well, is you document what symptoms people are having, and then you 
there's an electronic medical record. Some of this is 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 items that you fill in, and at the tail end of it, you have a little section of two, three, four, five paragraphs about how the PTSD is affecting both your ability to do your military occupational specialty, how it's affecting your interaction with your uh, military brothers or sisters, and how it's affecting your family life. And, and that all goes, it, it's, uh, it, this is a softer area. This is where someone who knows to ask the right questions gets a much better history. And therefore, in terms of like rating purposes, uh, you get a much better and more specific and more favorable rating. I think Dr. Dr. Ro- yeah. Dr. Rosen, here. he was asking maybe about levels. Would you call it mild, moderate, severe, or how would you rate the levels of PTSD? We, I've, I've never done we, we 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 don't do that. We just say they have it, but it, it has these manifestations, which are of greater impact. Right. Um. But um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I I'm, I'm going to digress a, a second and, and just get something off my chest. I'm sorry. If there's anyone of our listeners who's ever had a concussion, or as the military said, had your bell rung, and then you've been discharged. Um, I know, and the whole DOD health department, you know, military health care system knows that people, this is a questionnaire you get when you go in country and when you come back to CONUS, uh, and it's like 50 questions, and it's computerized now, and it, is this wrong, is that wrong, et cetera. The problem is the test usually, it's supposed to be given right when you come back and get off the air, you know, within a day of getting off the airplane. And one thing leads to another, and what happens is the day before the people are supposed to go out the front gate, they finally get around to having this thing administered. And the problem, there are two problems with it, one of which is for people who have concussions. They, they are not necessarily aware of how impaired they are. So you can ask them a question, well, do you, do you think you have a brain injury? And they'll go, well, things are fine. And then you have to go back and say, there's some tests we do about asking people about memory and com- competing things and, um, you know, um, facts. And all of a sudden you get a, a picture of some. I had one guy at a community college, a, a gunny who looked in perfect shape and he had come in to the vet center at Long Beach uh, City College and he, he, he could have been a, out of Marine Corps po- recruiting poster and they got him qualified for VA be- educational benefits and then they asked him to fill out a class schedule and it all fell apart because his concentration and memory weren't there. And Dr. Rosen brings up, Dr. Rosen, you bring up a really good point because a lot of my patients, I'm asking them questions about their TBI and I get the same answer. And then I ask them questions about dizziness. They go, yeah, I'm dizzy all the time and can't walk around at nighttime or they have constant headaches ever since service time, you know. So it might be even 
30 or 40 percent of my patients all have these sort of hidden undiagnosed TBIs. And that gets kind of to the point of who's writing the nexus letter. So if you have a nexus opinion by, you know, your buddy statement or the nurse, nurse practitioner, PA, a lot of times those guys don't answer or ask the questions in enough depth to try and sort out the problems. So, you know, the more, more qualified and experienced that physician is, a board-certified doc or neurologist or psychiatrist, you know, the better off the patient's going to be because, we'll, number one, we'll write a better nexus letter, but number two, we're also root out and find a better, more accurate diagnosis. Right. Well, the other thing is to get good answers, you you really have to know about military culture because if the if the if the service member or veteran isn't comfortable with you, they're not going to open up as much. And uh, this one this one guy I was talking about, it turned out that his barracks were about two blocks down the road at Camp Pendleton from where my office was, at which point our relationship got warmer just because he sort of knew I was part of the fam- military family. And uh, I, the other thing, my first question is, did you get your bell rung? He said twice that I can remember, which gave me pause because that was how many times didn't you remember? But the other thing was that, that this questionnaire that you fill out when you leave, uh, people were so anxious to get out the front door that they would say no to a lot of the symptoms because they knew if they said yes, you wouldn't get out the front door of the gate to like Camp Pendleton and your family was on the other side waiting for you. The problem with that, and that was where I was going with this, is if either you or your doctor or nurse practitioner or psychologist doesn't document this, uh, you may run into problems down the road because the VA may say, well, how do we know this is service-related? Dr. Rosemary brings up another good point is that the patients, all these patients have that survey that's done when they when they're discharged from service, but also along the way, the patients are going for a CMP exam, you know, one of the, one of the DQ right. exams, and the patient oftentimes has the same philosophy, you know, soldier on, you know, be stoic, don't talk about your problems. So I always try to remind the patients to, you know, don't be stoic, don't, don't soldier on, and for, you know, that hour examination, try and be as, you know, forthright as you can with your problems and let the doctor and the CP examiner know exactly what's going on the best you can because if you say you're normal, they're going to send you out the door normal and you're going to be back in the same boat. Yeah, and you're not, and you're not going to get your reading. Yep. Um, the, the other thing is that uh, just knowing that I could I, – I, I can't quote all of them, but I have a pretty good idea about – a fair number of the combat-related military occupational specialties or MOSs. And just the fact that I could ask that question, can you tell me what your MOS is, all of a sudden you could see the shift, oh, this guy really is part of what I'm part of and I'm going to level with him. And, and so there's also a cultural part of it. Yeah, that's, a, that's another really important point. The... Um 
you know, myself and Dr. Roseman have a lot of mil- personal and military experience. But the um, sometimes a lot of the CMP examiners are even, you know, four medical school graduates or pure civilians who don't have any real bond or any sort of cultural understanding of what the soldier's about. And so there's a huge communication problem there between the patient and the and the doctor. And what happens, just to fill in a little, is when that goes on, the service member or veteran will shut down and, like, why am I batting my head against the wall? This guy doesn't get it no matter what I tell him. Right. So the way I help help the patients with that is I, I've got a little thing that talks about CMP exams on my on my website that kind of yeah I looked at that work their way through it's good good. yeah that's good and then the other thing is I always try and get the patient to um, to try and get my nexus letter before they go to the exam so then they have a way to to sort of read the nexus letter and understand what I'm asking and understand what the VA raters or CMP examiner is going to ask so they're kind of prepared for it. The other thing I do when I've had people go for VA readings, um, and that was before I met you, is we would go over their symptoms, and I would say, "Make sure let's let's develop a list." Yep. And yep. then the other thing is, someone may give you the impression that you walk into your CNP exam with nothing in your hands, and that's not so. Uh, and the people I saw who I knew were going for that are for medical boards. It's you walk in with a, a timeline, if you can make one, or what symptoms you have, and you start. I, I tell them to start saying something to the examiner. You know, my memory isn't as good as it used to be, and I think that's because of the TBI and PTSD. But I, I, I really need this list, and as you ask me questions, I'm going to refer to it, and I hope you understand. Thus far, I have never had an examiner who balked at that, but it makes life go a whole lot easier. Yeah, that's a good point. I do the same thing. We're kind of working in parallel universes here, but <laughs> the same thing, have the patient carry things into the exam. Use the examiner won't take it, but, like, if they have my have my nexus letter, they can read from that, or if they have their lay letters, they can use that as a way to m- memory prompt themselves, you know. Yeah. The other thing that the, that the patient has, has to always remember is that the, the VA has a concept of, of um, flare-ups. So flare-ups is the idea that on a worst-case day or the worst-case situation is what you're supposed to describe to the examiner, not necessarily on the best day. So patients sometimes have a hard time with that because they think that maybe they're trying to fabricate their symptoms, but that's not right. They're trying to just describe the best way they can what happens on a during a flare-up. And so uh, I try to remind the patients about that too. Well, yeah, and well, part of that, uh, particularly with the, you know, all service members are equal in my eyes, but people who have uh, have combat-related jobs, part of it is you try and minimize the non-function. It's you tough it out. You're macho, and as you said, and. So it's a little harder to get them to talk about it. And usually I I will see several people or talk to them by phone before they go in for their exams. And we even do role plays, and I play the examiner. (laughs) 
right. so that right. they get comfortable talking about the stuff and not feeling diminished in any way in so doing. Uh, Dr. Bash, let me just make my little point that I was wondering at before. If anyone in our audience has had concussions, or as they say, had your bell rung, if it's not already been documented, please do something to get it documented now. Because the, the sooner it's documented, the easier it will be down the road to claim benefits for it. I, ha- I had one guy, and happily, um, I had, he was in touch with a couple other people in his uh, company. So I had good historians who remembered him being out for an hour after one concussion. But the initial position was, well, how do we know you weren't in an auto accident? That's why you have, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury. And the answer is no. He had he came out of Iraq with this story. <laughs> but if, if 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 you haven't documented, the VA doesn't know it exists. Now, if uh, if uh, a uh veteran comes out and they do uh, like an MRI or something, when they've they've had a a TBI, uh, don't that leave a lesion on your brain? Uh, Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, but there's all kinds of different levels. I mean, if you have one meaningful, it would leave a lesion. Yeah, it depends on all kinds of levels, like a lot of patients, you know, have a big scar on their forehead, and that helps. And then they'll have a divot in their skull, and that helps. And then they may or may not have a big, uh, a big defect, defect on MRI or maybe EEG. So there's all kinds of different ways to try and document it. And later, I had a guy, had a guy that was in the, some combat in World War II, and he was knocked out on the battlefield, and his whole unit retreated, and he was left for dead. And then he woke up and. <laughs> went home and wrote his mom a letter about how he's left for dead and then about thirty years later he got you know, dementia and Alzheimer's disease and we used a letter from the mother that was now, you know, decades old to use that to document his case. So there's there's lots of ways to try and get at these different types of head injuries, but um we use every tool we can, you know, to try and um try and do it. Yeah, you know, I, I was just trying to say that if if you think something happened, it's you're you're not diminishing yourself or your virility or macho-ness by admitting to the fact that you got injured. And it's more important, particularly if you if you're looking for competent to help take care of you and your family, that this gets documented. Dr. Rosamond's exactly right. That applies to all different types of injuries and illnesses not just uh, TBI or the psych stuff because, you know, heart disease and kidney disease and bone fractures and joint problems, all that stuff, the longer it lingers, the harder the VA has with that gap, trying to close that gap between when you had your injury and when you're documented. Well, one of the most difficult things I've seen uh, to get service-connected for is exposure issues. And... uh, yeah, you're right. But well, exposure really difficult to, uh, you know, uh, get certified. Yes, exposure is hard because, you know, these soldiers are exposed to dust and smoke and um, all kinds of toxins, but none of that stuff's really documented. So the best 
one of the best things I found was when they close these bases, they do an EPA report, and you know, Superfund report, and inside those Superfund reports, they talk about the different levels of toxins, and you can use that as a way to prove that they're exposed to it, and then we can try and figure out what their disease is to match it up to the toxin. But when they're in foreign countries or in combat zones, there's a lot of nasty stuff that they're exposed to. It's hard to get, you know, EPA is not there to document it, and a lot of times the military doesn't really want to document that stuff because, it, you know, they don't want to prove that they're exposing soldiers and stuff. So it's a very difficult area that, that um, I've had pretty good luck with with the EPA reports, but otherwise it's harder. Well, to use the Corps engineer reports, uh, yeah, like you say, uh, I know on my claim, most of my uh, 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 information came from Corps engineer reports because uh, they, you know, they test the ground and everything else and tell you what's been there. And right. It's, uh, you know, otherwise you're not going to be able to hardly prove what you were exposed to. And they they might be able to say, look, you were exposed, but what was you exposed to? <laughs> and then if you right. tell them something, then they'll say, well, how, how do we know that even affected you? <laughs> yeah, they never told us about it. it. Yeah, it's correct. There's tricky stuff, though. There's tricky things like... I've had patients that were exposed to spent uranium, you know, and that uranium will get into the bone and then it gets leached out in the urine. So sometimes you can do a urine test and see the leached out uranium, you know. So there's some testing out there we can do, but it's tricky business. Each one of the different exposures is hard to yes, hard to nail down. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's uh, one of the most difficult ones, I believe. Uh Radiation, okay. radiation exposure is another one. You know, the uh, yeah. the VA will send them for, to the Defense Threat Nuclear Agency, and they always say that the patient's radiation dose was background. But you know, sometimes we have film badges, or sometimes we'll have a some kind of report about a radiation leak or something like that we can use to show that they were exposed, and that's not going to be it's going to be above baseline. We can use that to link it to maybe a radiation-induced cancer or something like that. I'm, I'm going to backtrack for a second. I, mean, I said something just before the broadcast opened. Uh, one of my friends who's now working with the, uh, I think it's the Semper Fi Fund as medical director, was the uh, chief psychiatrist in the Office of Surgeon General of the Navy, and this was, what, 10, 15 years ago when we were both in D.C., and they had just commissioned a. Or they they had just gotten results of a study about things that would predispose you to PS, PTS or PTSD, and there was one that I that came as a, it made sense, but I, I I hadn't thought to ask about it until then, which is if you go anywhere near a body bag, in terms of picking one up, putting body parts into one, all of that stuff your risk goes up. I think it's 30% of developing PTSD. And, and so that's, again, where a trained clinician has that information and someone who hasn't had the military background doesn't even know to ask the question. You know, my, um, my, a lot of my patients, just based on my practical experience, you know, before you told me about that study, 
a lot of these guys work for mortuary affairs, you know, or they'll be like uh, guys loading on aircraft, and all those guys have a huge amount. They probably do it like six months at a time before they have, you know, inability to function because of the exposure. That makes sense. Right. Now, what about, what about going to, now, it might sound silly, but what about going to a, a, a military funeral? And uh, you're standing there staring at them uh, in the casket. Uh, you know, that's not like seeing them get shot or something or killed. But still, couldn't that uh, cause some form of PTSD? I have no knowledge about a specific study about that. But I think this goes, I, I forget the word Dr. Bash used, but it, it's, it's cute, cute what, what I call cumulative impact. One of the first uh, corpsmen I saw back at Camp Pendleton who'd been in Iraq had had like 60 people die in his arms from IEDs. And then a fam, one of his, he had a brother who was a gunny also in Iraq, and the brother died, and that was the final straw for him in terms of the PTSD. Just that night, he couldn't sleep. He was pacing. and But it was very clear that all the other people who had died in his arms were predisposing factors in helping to lay the groundwork for this. Well, that cumulative impact is a big deal because I've had patients who are psychiatrists who go from base to base to try and help the soldiers deal with the with the PTSD and pretty soon they can't function because they have so much cumulative impact just from being a you know facilitator. Right. It's a big deal. Um, yeah, there there is even uh there's something called the Center for Te- Te- Telehealth and Technology that's a joint base Lewis McCord which is the one that produces the smartphones apps for Android and uh, Apple or iPhones. Uh, and aside from the tactical breathing and uh, cognitive behavioral, there's also one to track your mood. Uh, there's one called BioZen, which I sort of like, uh, and tactical breather. But they, they got a request from downrange from all the providers who were beginning to realize this stuff was beginning to hit them and it helped them sort of at the end of the day go through what had happened, and if you could label it, it helped you cope with it. Dr. Roosevelt, what about meditation? Kind of along those lines a little bit, or what do you think? Um, The answer is it's best when done. Let me give you the official answer from the VA and DOD and the clinical guidelines. Yeah. Often medication and some form of psychotherapy are are better when when administered together than alone. Now, in terms of looking at the big picture, on the small picture, uh, I would at times see people at Camp Pendleton who had been getting two hours of sleep for two months and they, I, you know, I, I knew if I was going to be able to do anything with them, the first thing I had to do 
is help get them their sleep regularized. And so I would use some short-term medications, not just sleeping pills, that would help settle them down. And within four or five days, they would look. They would still have PTSD, but they'd look a whole lot calmer. And then we could do the joint therapy and everything else. So both are effective. What about meditation? Meditation. Yeah, meditation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So meditation is something that a patient can learn to do themselves, right? Sometimes maybe. Yeah, and in fact, that's one of the smartphone apps is on meditation. As I said, the, the thing I know, though, that when people come back and they're so out of sorts that they're not sleeping, that's not when you can go meditate. Okay. Because your mind is slipping as you try and relax and breathe out and sort of empty your head. You just All this other stuff keeps popping up, like someone's running a deck of flashcards in front of you. So at times you have to help people calm themselves or reset themselves, and then you can do the rest of it. One of the uh, other yeah. ones... Uh, c- uh, excuse me. Uh, couldn't F, uh, PTSD be a progressive disease? A what disease? Progressive. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it may start out mild, but as, you know, it depending on the individual, of course. Well, but then you know, they gradually become worse and worse and worse. Yeah, uh, particularly if it's not treated, yeah. Uh, and it's also that people try and act normal, and it takes more of what I call psyche energy when you're around other people to act like nothing's bothering you. And the more stuff that's going on, the more energy it takes out of you, just like if you don't want to let people know you're depressed. You're expending energy to try and look normal, and that takes that makes things worse in the long haul. I can understand that. Yeah. The other one we is this eye movement desensitization thing, which initially people were a little bit skeptical of. Uh, one of my fellow clinicians, a psychologist, had trained in this. And I had never seen it done firsthand, so I asked her permission with the permission of the respective patients to follow about five people as she worked with them. And it was truly remarkable how much relief they got from their symptoms. And before, they had vivid memories and nightmares, and by the time it was all over, You'd say, Gunny, tell me about what it was like in Iran or, I mean, Iraq or, or Afghanistan. You know, sir, that was a, sort of a long time ago. I remember being there, and I know it was sort of tense, but it really doesn't bother me anymore. But someone spent the time with them to make, help get, get that put in the right compartment, so to speak. And, and it wor- I've seen it work, and I am a believer Hey, Dr. Roseman, I have a question for you. Did you see that movie, The American Sniper? Yes. Do you, um, I read the book first. Yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, some of my patients I know that they get really angry. They'll get really angry at the VA, and then they'll, then they'll get angry at me, or they'll get angry at their spouses, or they'll get angry. 
in the sniper movie, it's kind of like that where you're helping that guy and you got angry at him and you got shot, you know. What's that? What what kind of psychology is that about? Is it kind of distra- de- deflected anger or what, how do you? I I it you know it depends. One of my friends has has a quote that is we are the sum of all our past experiences, and I'm not trying to pass the buck, but it really depends what sort of life experiences the person has had. If people have not had good life experiences, broken homes, maybe a juvenile bust, other things, they don't roll with the punches as well, and their frustration tolerance is much lower, and they tend to act out. And at times, um, there's a word psychiatrists use, which is called clinical holding, which is just you sit and you spend time with the patient, and you talk about stuff in their life, but I, I don't try and go for the, the trigger points because they're not ready for that, if you know what I'm saying. And, 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 and I, I think, I, I, I don't know what happened with the guy who shot Chris Kyle. He clearly was troubled. And he may have had a variety of things, some TBI and PTSD, with the traumatic brain injury at times. Your impulse control is not as good as it used to be because some of the circuits that used to give you the countdown or breathing time just aren't there anymore. Good, good, good. Yeah, I wanted to go back to that one idea about the role play you mentioned. Because I do a lot of all these DBQs, I do video DBQs, you know. Mm-hmm. So the patient is, um, you know, it's a role playing. I go through range of motion, and so I kind of get used to what the the examiner is going to ask, and you know, then I put that in a DBQ, and they can read about it, and then they're kind of prepared for the exam. And I think it's useful for all patients to read those DBQs before they go to a CMP exam, because the examiner is going to go down that checklist, and so they have an idea what questions they're going to ask and you know, what the answers possibly can be is multiple choice, basically. I, I, I agree with you, and this also relates to skill of examiner. I had someone I was working with uh, who was referred to me by a friend in Arizona and was seeing someone at one of the VAs in, in Arizona and went to see someone in the mental health department and saw a uh, physician's assistant, and the person had already said, "Look, I'm having nightmares," and the person couldn't leave it alone and went in for the, you know, and wanted every single last detail about the night, the nightmare, et cetera, et cetera, as well as every last bloody detail about their combat experience. And uh, the guy's girlfriend went with him, who's a nurse, and she she tried to stop the guy, and he was just hell-bent in doing this. That night, he had a full resurgence of, of his PTSD. So I agree with you. That was a classic example about someone who was not a skilled interview. <laughs> just made things a whole lot worse. Yeah. 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 And the VA's using a lot of, you know, using a lot of PAs and a lot of nurse practitioners for these exams. Now and so, um, you know, we're getting less quality and sort of 
not as much experience and you know DBQs aren't as good and, and like I said the side effects can be pretty bad and they miss not only they miss the psychiatric stuff they miss a lot of major medical things you know people with thyroid disease if they're looking at the symptoms right. of the disease and cardiac disease and renal disease and hypertension so you know it's uh it's, it's it's a disservice on two levels one the patient when the patient goes to DBQ it should really be a doctor patient relationship and they should come out of there with some medical treatment and diagnosis if they have things that are urgent and emergent instead of overlooking them and just send them out the door with the, with the paperwork done. Right. Um, I agree. Uh, it's also, I, I think there's a cognitive or head difference between people in the military healthcare system, by and large, and some of the, the, the civilians or particularly the contract people in the VA who just get hired to do the CNP exams. And, and they, you know, at both Naval Medical Center San Diego and at Walter Reed and at Camp Pendleton, uh, people were taking care of their brothers and sisters, so to speak. And they were extremely gentle with them. And that was just the way everyone did things. And if you've had none of that background, you don't have that sensitivity. I used to do uh, I used to do site visits for spinal cord centers. I used to call my spinal cord guys my colleagues because <laughs> they're all we're all wheelchair buddies. You know, it's the same kind of thing. You have a have a commonality. You mentioned you mentioned something about this the, these contract exams. And it's really important for the patients to know that the VA is doing a lot of those contract exams for the UTC and these other companies that, that do it. And those exams. Unlike the ones that are done inside the VA hospital, you can't look at them oftentimes before the VA tries to do their rating. So I always coach my patients to make sure they get a copy of those CMP exams that are done outside because, one, the quality is not as good as we just talked about. They're not as sensitive as we also talked about. But also, the you know, the VA tries to rate on those things before the patient emails gets a chance to look at it. So in order to get those, oftentimes you have to do a FOIA request, and that takes time. And So I usually tell the patients to... Write the VA and tell them that you want to hold your rating decision until you get a chance to look at those exams and go over with your doctor to make sure that things are accurate before they do the rating. Because once the rating is done, then you have a whole appeal cycle you have to go through, which slows you know slows you down. Oh, you mentioned before, Doctor Batch, about that you could request a copy of that CMP examination uh, before you leave. Yep. Oh, yeah, I had a patient. Yeah, I had a patient last week that said, I'm not leaving the hospital until I get a copy of the CMP exam. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, and they, they did it. it. They, had to, yeah, they had to give it to them as medical records. So that's a good way to do it, too, because once you're gone and they're trying to run that through the pro- process, it takes it may take months, a couple, three months, six oh. months to get the exam. Oh, or longer, or yeah. longer. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I've done been informed I'm going to have months. Uh, more CMP examinations, and I'm going to request them before I leave the hospital. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good to know right there. Yeah. And let me add a little bit. If you ask and you don't give it, you want to stick something in your VA chart saying, I asked 
doctor so-and-so or nurse practitioner so-and-so for this, and they didn't give it to me. So you're building a track record. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Right. But there a, okay. it's a VA hospital, then it's supposed to be, you know, it's available three days later in the healthy vet site. But the stuff on the outside, the problem is the stuff on the outside, those contractors, you know, they, the, the VA has some kind of a special relationship with them, and they're saying that it's not a, not a doctor-patient relationship, and sometimes they won't even let you, like you just mentioned, they won't even let you add stuff to the record because it's, they say it's an administrative thing and they don't have to allow that, but, but it's a good thing to do. if you ask them, they should uh, put it in the record, wouldn't they? Well, I don't know. At those C&P exams, they won't, like I've given patients my my uh, my Nexus letters, they say we, we can't take anything at the C&P exam. So they've got like a little wall there, but I think it's worth an effort to try. Oh, Dr. Craig, uh, I've worked with a couple people at the VA, and at least for the VA, not the outside, there's something called a C folder, I think. Yep, yep, yep. And and the trick is that before the exam, if you push, you can get stuff into the claims folder. Yes, yes, you can do a couple days. Yeah, you can upload it even a day or two before, but they won't take it at the exam day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's good enough. So I, I try and get my, I try and get my Nexus letters in before the exam, so that way the examiner has it available and has to read it and stuff like that. But that's a good point. Always try and get as much information as you can into your claims folder prior to your, your CMP exam. So if I, so if I order testing like MRI scan or cardiac or whatever I want, we always get those test results even if they're inside or outside or optic exams into the, into the claims folder before the examiner does his exam. Oftentimes, those examiners won't read that new stuff, and if he doesn't read that new stuff and doesn't integrate it, then that's a good point for saying that the exam is inadequate, and then you go back and get a second exam and so on. Right. I'm 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 going to confuse people a little. Um, there are now a couple um, intrepid warrior centers. One uh, that were funded by a guy who started Fisher House. Yeah. And it. Uh, there's one uh, at Camp three, Pendleton. Right? There's one uh, at, what's the one in North Carolina, Lejeune. There's one on the grounds of Walter Reed. Yeah. And these are really state-of-the-art places, and they also have a newer, more expensive, higher-quality MRIs. And those don't just show lesions, but you can see actually ruptured neural tracts. Yeah, they do so tractology. It, yeah, right, tractology. Yeah. 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 Sophisticated. Yeah, this is sophisticated. Yeah, this is sophisticated MRI scanning we can use to try and sort some of this stuff out. It's not available everywhere. You're right about that. So um, as we go along, it's going to get better and better. You know. uh, Dr. Bash, uh, yep. we're down to a little over a minute here. Uh, you want to give us your contact information? Uh Website yep. and phone number. Yeah, best way you can Google Dr. Craig, Google Dr. Craig Bash, and it'll pop up. My web, my email is dr delta romeo bash at doctor dot com. A cell phone you can call two four zero five zero six one five five six, but text message is best. So two four zero five zero six one five five six. And we're lucky. I think Dr. Rosenman said he might try and help us with some psychiatric opinions. So we have another person out there that we can u- utilize, right, Dr. Rosenman, maybe? Yeah, but you're going to be the point of contact <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to keep it all well, together. That'll be, that'll no be great because, yeah. you know, 
All the help we can get, we need. Um, We have a lot of sick veterans out there, and they need help. So, and that's that's what we're trying to accomplish: get the word out. And and I uh, I agree. That was why I took my job originally at Camp Pendleton was that they uh, had three of their psychiatrists TBY to Iraq. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from a, a, com- a friend who works at a company that helps provide fill-in docs. And I, he said, would you be willing to move, you know, live down 60 miles away from where you are uh, during the week and we'll put you up? And, and I thought about it. And, you know, we as a country have made an obligation to our service members and veterans that if you put your life in arms way, it's our job to take care of you. And I, how could I not take that job? Yeah, that's good. I thank you. Hey, Mr. Uh, President, one one last question. What's, what's the number one thing to help prevent suicide? You got, you got a 30 second, 10 second thing. Um, Um, Call the hotline. I think one of which is talk. Tell people about it. It's not shameful. There, there are more yeah. people that than you might expect who've had suicidal thoughts, and they can be helpful. It's, it's not something that's easy to do in, if you're act still active duty because it's not macho. And the other problem, if you say that, you'll lose your access to guns, which people don't like to have happen even on a temporary basis. Yeah. Uh, but the more the, the, in mental health things, and that's not just for suicide, keeping secrets is potentially deadly. And when people knew something wasn't quite right about the service member or veteran, and they don't share it with friends and family or don't do anything about it and just look the other way, that's a bigger problem than, than making the intervention, even if the person will curse you out initially. That once they realize you're really trying to help them, that that's the start. And I, with the Marines, I've had uh, experiences where they'll realize something's not right with someone, and they'll come. Someone will come with them for their appointment, and we have a chat afterwards. And for the next couple of days, they'll make sure that if they go out to meals or do different things, that someone makes sure that this person who's a bit under the weather goes with them and doesn't feel isolated, which can be very helpful. Well, gentlemen, I hate to uh, call this to an end, but we are out of time. So I appreciate you both coming on. I'll tell you, it's been a really great informational show. And let's hope uh, some veterans will get get the benefit of it. Uh, it'll be in our archives, and uh, uh, we know a lot of people go through them archives. So uh, this this has been a good show. I'm really looking forward to getting you both back on and uh, do some Thank more you. talking. <laughs> yes, stay <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Well, it's been our pleasure. So, 
With that, uh, this will be Gerald Cook with John Stacy. We'll be signing off for now. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bastard Show. <laughs>